The Protectors of the Wood episode series, episode number three, The House in the Hill. It felt as if only a few minutes had passed when they emerged into a large cavern. The sound of rushing water filled the damp stone hallway, now luminous with the silvery blue glow. They crossed the open space and entered a small passageway with steps carved from the rock. It curved upward to the right. Feeling cramped in the narrow tunnel, Abby sighed gratefully when Wendy pushed open a wide trap door over their heads. They stepped out into Wendy's workshop. Abby had seen it countless times, but had never been initiated into the mysteries of the old woman's secret art. Looking about with her habitual curiosity, Abby realized once again that she had very little understanding of how Wendy created her plant medicines. Neither the old woman herself nor the contents of the room answered her many questions. A short, very wide window was propped open and extended horizontally along the back wall, letting the breeze and light of day into the room through a screen of thick vines. Above the window, bundles of herbs hung from a rope running across the room like a clothesline. The second wall included shelves of books, and the third, a dazzling display of masks, weavings, large diagrams and maps, all full of signs and symbols. The fourth wall had a few shelves packed with containers of dried leaves, seeds, powdered herbs, and bark. And on the top shelf were jars full of powder sparkling in many colors, yellow, tan, deep red, and brown. In the center of the room, a squat black stove held a copper pot almost as large as the stove itself. Two wooden tables were covered with plates, bottles, plants, and small tools. A sink almost as large as a bathtub, with a faucet and a pump handle, stood in the corner. Oh, such a day to be interrupted. If you only knew... Abby was used to Wendy's grouchy attitude and knew the emotions that it concealed. You'll need enough hot water to swim in. Hold this pot. She gave one end of a piece of rubber hose to Abby and attached the other end to the faucet and began to thrust the long pump handle up and down. The water slowly filled the cauldron. Wendy turned up all four dials on the stove. I think the water... We'll be warm enough before we run out of gas. I'm glad you're here to help me bring up another tank. When the pot was giving off the first traces of steam, Wendy turned off the stove. Abby stripped and climbed a tiny stepladder and curled up in the cauldron. Wendy gave her a bar of soap and draped a towel on the edge of the cauldron. Ah... I didn't realize how cold I was. Abby dunked her head and stood up and washed, her body steaming in the cool air. Wendy left the room and returned with clean clothes and set them nearby. When Abby stepped down to the floor, Wendy surveyed her skin and applied ointments to the cuts, bruises, and scratches. A few minutes later, they were sitting in the front room near the wood-burning stove. A few flames glittered through the metal door. 
A large black pot was cooking on top. We're risking a little smoke for this special occasion. Wendy put another piece of wood on the fire. I know I shouldn't, but for your arrival, I'm declaring a holiday. You may not want to once you've heard my story. I have bad news. Abby was staring at the fire with a tragic face. The moment for the grim details had arrived. Well, get it all out then. Hurry up. Wendy's strange, cracked voice drew out some words and raced through others. Her tone rose and fell in the middle of syllables, and she had the odd habit of rising at the end of statements almost as if they were questions. Abby opened her mouth but couldn't begin. Her eyes filled with tears. Her throat was sore. Let me put some tea on for you. Your eyes are glassy. You're chilled, a bit shocked. I know just the thing. It always works for you. Lemon balm with sage, very hot. You should take this container back with you when you go and grow some in the churchyard of yours. Wendy put a pan of water on the stove and poured the herbs into a small strainer. I'm not going back. Not ever. Her voice broke and tears dripped down her cheeks. I failed. We lost the election for the new church trustee. The Morphy people have a majority. Tuck will soon be fired. They'll sell the churchyard to Morphy for an office building, probably taller than the church itself. They're taking over the town and are in a league with the governor to push Sonny and his people out of Rivergate and get mining rights to the forest preserve. Everything will be destroyed. Everything. And it's mostly my fault. My relationships are a mess. Just when we had a chance, it all collapsed. It's over. Wendy poured the hot water through the strainer into a large cup and let the tea brew. She rubbed Abby's back and let her cry. It went on for a while. Finally, Wendy brought a towel and rubbed Abby's face and hands. Look, Wendy, you know it's impossible. We're fighting a gigantic organization run by greedy and angry people. They're harassing and investigating me around the clock. Morphe knows Dreamstone was found around Middletown. He knows that I know where. He knows it's worth more money than anyone can imagine. My father's drawings of the carving on the map stick show far more Dreamstone under Hidden Valley than we ever thought of. It's even under the parts of the forest. It's all too much to bear. The words poured out of Abby's mouth like a river in flood. Her pent-up fears and thoughts could not be stopped. The truth is, I'm no match for these people. There's a whole mob out there who hate me, believe I'm a threat to their existence, 
And they're going to do everything they can to take over this town and the forest preserve and wipe us out. Even nice, ordinary people hate me. I thought I could at least go back to Rivergate and work for Sunny, but they plan to relocate us. We know what that means. Saving the earth? We can't even save Middletown and the forest. And now I understand that all the dreamstone under us at this moment could turn a quarter of the planet into small farms, forests, wildlands of every kind. Dreamstone could probably save most of the forest on Earth. I'm not a fool. I think about these things. Ah! Don't you know? A group of us have thought about that every day for 50 years. Of course, we tell no one. It's our best opportunity in our Biggest danger! She waited patiently, but Abby did not respond. Finally, Wendy spoke, gently but firmly. I hope you realize that as the keeper of the mapstick, you are now responsible for that opportunity and that terrible danger. Abby stared, but the old woman only stared back. Her cracked old face was still, motionless as an ancient picture. Well, thanks for telling me. But it's too late. Haven't you been listening? I'm the weak link in this chain. I'm broken. And I'm so humiliated, I can't even talk to Sonny or Junior. They had faith in me. Tuck was working with the bishop and Pastor Banks to put pressure on the governor. Now Tuck will be gone. Morphe will get into Hidden Valley and discover everything. Everything! We're lost. And so, so much is lost with us. I tried. I really tried. Abby put her face in her hands. When she was all cried out, Wendy handed her the cup. Abby took a few sips. Now, please give careful thought to what I ask. Are you sure, really absolutely sure, that all is lost? Abby's head turned to Wendy in surprise. A suspicion arose in her mind that she was missing something. She felt her whole mood shift in the wink of an eye. Maybe I'm not sure about all of it, but there are horrible things I am sure of. Yes, and those things are... After the election, Tuck warned me that Dr. Bear, who was counting the votes, had told him that Becky Scudder had won, no doubt about it. And the bishop was there on site. It was all official. One of the trustees had already asked for an audit of the church finances and the key to the church's closet of treasures. I had to grab the staff and this case of my father's drawings and flee through the storm. 
And an edition of the Middletown Standard came out yesterday with a picture of me hugging Jeremy, Phoebe's boyfriend, on church property when I was supposed to be working. And George, who likes me, might have betrayed me. You don't understand. These are just a few of the bad things. Abby was no longer crying or even looking sad. She was watching Wendy carefully, suspecting that the strange old woman would surprise her once again. Hmm. Do you have any friends? What? Of course. But my relationships are all a mess now. That's a major reason I'm so sad. I love my friends, and now I've lost them. Lost them? Then they are no longer your friends? No, no, not like that. They like me, but I've made mistakes, made a fool of myself. But I've lost my job at the church. Tuck has lost his place as minister. I have nowhere to live, no base in Middletown to work from, and just when everything was going so well. Rose and Rob are about to give me a job at the preschool. The children actually like me, and most of Sonny and Junior's plans are based on Tuck and I being at the church. Phoebe, Sarah, all sorts of people are counting on us. And you say the bishop was there? Yes. In my mind, that makes the election official. Did the bishop announce the result? No, I didn't wait around for that. A mob of angry people thought I had somehow created the storm out of thin air. They tried to attack me. They chased me down the street as the hailstones fell like marbles. Mm. And you carried these? Wendy motioned to the map stick and the briefcase in the corner. All the way here? Oh, uh, I thought I'd left them in the other room. You did leave them in the other room. I moved them here. Abby felt insulted, as if Wendy had accused her of neglecting the map stick. What? Is your workshop unsafe? No, but the map stick is just getting to know you. And it wanted to be near us, and next to Hilda. Abby looked at the corner of the room more carefully, and saw Hilda, Wendy's staff, leaning on the wall next to the map stick. You talk as if they're alive and have feelings. The wrinkled old woman did not reply. Well, say something. You have more than enough information. Answer your own question. I'm afraid to answer that question. Something talks in my head. I see things underground. The Mapsic tries to show me the right way to go. And now that you mention it, there is a very strange similarity between Hilda and the Mapsic. And you've even talked to my father about it and never told me. You never prepared me for any of this. I have no idea what I'm doing. Abby stared angrily into the fire. Wendy sat quietly 
and warmed her old hands near the door of the stove. The pine logs crackled and flared up. The veins on the back of her hands stood out like blue worms. Abby was thinking, She's old. Old. What am I going to do when she's gone? So, all these things are bad? Is that correct? Oh, stop it. If you know something, tell me. Now, I'm glad you can use me to let out all your pain. And your picture of your hopes and fears is quite true. I'm impressed. You're very smart. But let's imagine you were talking to one of your friends. Let's say, Phoebe, for instance. Let's say it's tomorrow, and you meet her on the edge of the town. And you discuss this. I'm sure you would present things differently. Instead of waiting for me to give you answers, you and Phoebe would exchange news, encourage each other, and continue building the good road together. I won't deny that I can help you. And believe me, I will. But consider all you can do, even without my help. Wendy's voice became strong, and her eyes glittered. I promise you in a day or two, you'll see things rather differently. You underestimate yourself and your partners gathered around you. Already the good road has begun. Thanks for listening. Episode number four is coming soon. To hear all the episodes, please go to our website, www.protectorsofthewood.com. Sometimes I'm walking on rainbows. Sometimes I'm locked underground. But if I hear you say it's all okay, there's nothing compares to that sound. I'm lost, but now I'm A lot of things, I guess I try and I try just to do my best But if it's not right with you There's nothing I can do I'm lost before I begin God help the shape I'm in God help the shape that I'm in shape that I'm in Just come back to me I'll be yours for free I'll do all the good I can do It's just that I need you Sometimes I'm stumbling 
through my day And there's no light upon the way There's nothing I can see It's dark as can be Hold my hand and see me through I'm lost if I don't have you God help the shape that I'm in God help the shape that I'm in Just come back to me I'll be yours for free I'll do all the good I can do It's just that I need you It's just that I